Christ is the Lamb of God. Christ is the forgiveness. He is the priest. He is the King. And He is forever our hope. Are you in? Men, we serve the risen Savior, and we are here to make much of Jesus Christ. Man, it is all about Christ. May he be celebrated and put center stage. I'm just telling you, this world brings a lot of junk. It brings a lot of distraction and a lot of heartache and a lot of pain and a lot of struggle in different ways, challenging and causing us to try to rethink or be pulled away from. But when we walk in this place, when we join together to make much of our Savior in worship, may we make it all about Him. And all of God's people said, man, man, that's pretty weak. And all of God's people said... It's a huge deal. We got to get it right, right? As we come together to worship, may we celebrate the Savior. His name is Jesus. He is greater. And we're in a series here. We've been walking through this series in Hebrews now over halfway through and talking through the details of who he is and what it means that Jesus is greater. He is my sacrifice and how he is our Lamb of God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that he gives us hope and life eternal. That because of his death and resurrection, we can be forgiven. And that is what it's all about. Jesus, our sacrifice. May we lift him up and praise him. So as we've been diving into this, we're in, uh, like I said, the book of Hebrews, and it's written by an author to those who are Hebrews, Jewish, and uh, that means they know a ton. They had a bunch of information about the Old Testament and Old Testament covenant. They knew a lot of those details, and they were coming to trust Christ, and there was even some like, but am I wrong for walking away from where I was? And so really, the book of Hebrews is trying to help Jewish people who are very connected to Old Testament to be able to understand how Christ is the fulfillment of all of those things. That this is nothing but a shadow Old Testament pointing forward to Christ the substance. And that's really the depth of what we're seeing as we walk through Hebrews. That does mean then for you and me, if maybe you know a little bit less about the Old Testament, you know it's not, you know, you're not necessarily Jewish or Hebrew, you haven't had that as your life upbringing, then there may be details that are a little bit missing. And so as we walk through Hebrews, it may feel like there's more detail than you ever knew existed about all of the Old Testament. So here's the deal, we just take a deep breath each week, right? And my job is to be like your trailer. Remember we talked about that? A little bit of a trailer vid ahead of time to make sure that in this episode, as we dive into the material, we're going to look back at some of the past pieces of information in the Old Testament real quickly, just so you know what those are and you know what he's talking about. So as they get mentioned in the passage today, you know what's going on, right? So I'm your trailer. Here we go. Right? So here's a little bit of back uh, look, you know, looking back if we go after it. So as you step backwards, you go all the way back to when like, God was talking to Abraham and he said, I am promising you, I am going to make a nation of you. In fact, the world is going to be blessed through you. Now, Abraham had no idea what he meant, and, but him promising that through Abraham and his offspring, there would be this massive blessing. It turns out through his offspring would become Jesus Christ, and he alone would be the hope of the world. So as he's talking to Abraham, he's making that real, right? But God ends up taking the nation that came under Abraham. Remember those were the 12 tribes. They all kind of had rallied together. Well, he took them and he ended up bringing them out of Egypt. They had been captive there. So really our first snapshot in the trailer, they're captive in Egypt. God is walking them out. He's taking care of them. He's protecting them. 
He's making sure that on all fronts they're able to get out safe and sound. In fact, he walks them right up to, the, uh, to Mount Sinai and he takes Moses up onto Mount Sinai with the thunder and the lightning and the authority of God and he delivers up the Ten Commandments written on stone. And Moses comes down to the people. He has now some of the law that God is making clear. Here's the expectation of how to interact with me as we now journey together and you're my people. Here we go. And so that was the beginning of it as God ushered in this Ten Commandments, this understanding. Well, the reality is we as people um, aren't really shaped by rules very well. Right? And if you're a parent, you all know that very well. You establish a rule and all that does is make clear where your child is going to violate next. Right? Like as we set up rules, it just challenges our heart. Our heart is broken and we have issue and Israel had issues. And as they were being given these rules and guidances of the law, all that happened is their heart of selfishness was just running off and they ran amok fast. In fact, as God finally walks them into a kingdom and they're kind of a kingdom underneath God, literally, they got upset because of the peer pressure of other nations saying to them, Who, who's your king? And they're like, well, we don't have an earthly king. We don't have a human king. We have a God in heaven who's our king. And they're like, you don't have a guy who's your king? That's lame. And so they kind of judged them. They made fun of them. In fact, they literally said to God, we're being made fun of by the other nations for not having a physical human king. We want that. And God's like, you don't want a human king. I'm telling you, you want me. I'm perfect in nature. I will never sin. I never change any of who I am in character. You can trust me. And they're like, no, we really, we don't want to be made fun of anymore. We want a human king. And so they asked for the human king. God ended up giving it to him. And in fact, Saul and David, the first two kings, and things had gone all right, but starting to unwind already. And by the third king, it went all bad. And all of a sudden, the nation of Israel, with all of this sin everywhere and the disagreement going on, the nation of Israel ends up getting split. And the 10 tribes go up to Israel to the north, and two tribes stay down to the south and rename themselves uh, Judah. And so you have Israel and Judah. And now there's two nations split because of sin, right? So first snapshot, God working with them and giving them the law and the expectation, the Ten Commandments, walking them out of Egypt, protecting them. Second snapshot, they demand and they get their kingship and it unwinds everything. In fact, even split them into Israel and Judah. And then last third snapshot is it got so bad as Israel and Judah and the sin's still going on all over the place. They continue to stand against God and not listen to him that God finally said, that's it, the sin has to be dealt with. And the, both of them were taken off into exile. Israel first up to Assyria and then later on Judah taken off. And they were taken into exile, kind of a punishment of, uh, allowed for their sin, a consequence, if you will, for the nations around pressing down in and them not trusting in God. Well, in the midst of Judah getting taken off, one of the prophets, his name is Jeremiah, begins to write to them. And he's like, I'm telling you, this is how bad it's going to be. In fact, there was so much weeping in it. He got nicknamed the weeping prophet. And he's writing the book of Jeremiah about how bad this is going to be, this exile, and how rough it's going to be. And as he's walking through how hard it's going to be, he actually also gives hope. Here's how short it's going to be. He gave the exact number of years, 70 years. 
He said, and here's the hope that's going to come after it. And we're going to see a little bit of that today when we jump into the passage. So that's where we're at. Really three snapshots in the trailer. God working with uh, Israel, taking them out of Egypt. God giving them the law and the hope and the expectation, but it not going well at all and unwinding. And finally exile being a part of it. And Jeremiah having a voice in it. And sin is a problem. Man, we got to be super careful and we got to know and understand this, that Jesus Christ is our hope and we put our trust in the King. He alone is our sacrifice and all of God's people said. All right. So that's the end of the trailer. Let's go ahead and jump in to Hebrews chapter eight, starting in verse eight. Hebrews eight, starting in verse eight. And uh, we'll start at point one here. It says, see the purpose of the law and its shortcomings. See the purpose of the law, but also see its shortcomings. Like the law doesn't get all of it done, and we're going to see some of that in the passage today. Understand that the law does have value, but there's also some things it doesn't get accomplished. See the purpose of the law and its shortcomings. He starts out here in verse 8, and he says, For he, this is talking about God the Father, for he finds fault with them when he says, and we'll just hold right there. You know, you have to be really careful when you start to read and you see these kind of pronouns like the word them. What's he talking about? Make sure you always look back. Make sure you can see what's connecting in the prior sentence or two or verse and you see what's going on. The the reality is when he's talking about them here, the prior thing that's in plural, he's talking about the promises and the law. The law and the promises and how those connected together and God the Father is saying that he, he finds fault with them. Literally, God's finding fault with the law. Now, you might say, wait a minute, does this, does this mean that God is saying there was something wrong with the law? And it's not like God's saying, I, I didn't mean to really say that. I shouldn't have said those things. Like, it's not that the law itself was wrong, but there is a problem with the law. We'll cover in just a second on what it is, right? So here we go. It says, for he finds fault with the law when he says, behold. Now, he's beginning to read here in Jeremiah chapter 31, Verses 31 to 34. You heard me just talk about it in the trailer. He's talking about this prophet who's talking about the exile coming and how bad this sin is. And and Jeremiah 31 here is actually giving a little bit of understanding to God at work in the midst of this sinfulness and a little bit of the hope that can be had in him. So this is now a quote coming from Jeremiah that was actually written all the way back into the Old Testament times when they were in their sin being taken captive. He says, behold, and when we see the word behold, we say, check it out. That's all the word means. It means look at this, see this, check this out. This is really a call to worship. Like I'm telling you what I'm about to show you should just rock your world. Like I'm about to show you something that is God at work. Be in awe. Spend a little time. Worship your God because of what you see next here. That's all that behold means, all right? So he says, behold. He says, Uh, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The days are coming, declares the Lord. Like it's still future. The days are out ahead, but this is coming. I promise you, this is happening, declares the Lord. Now, this is actually quoted from Jeremiah 31. And if you go back to Jeremiah in the Old Testament and read it, where it's actually written in the Hebrew, it literally says, the days are coming, declares Yahweh. 
That's actually his personal name there, the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is his personal name. The one who is called from eternity past to eternity future, Yahweh. Like that's the privilege. And we get to know that this God is working with us. He loves us and he loves you. And he's pouring down in this God who can be personally known. And he is declaring out, here is the promise. He says, when I will, and uh, just so you know that word will, it's God saying, it's going to happen. And he actually says it seven times over. Seven times in here. And if you've noticed, God loves to use the number seven. And when he uses the number seven, he's saying, look, this is going to be perfect. It's going to be complete. This is God's number. And he uses the phrase, I will, seven times over. It's God acting, and it's going to make it stunningly perfect. Here we go. He says, I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. He's like, I'm going to take this split nation into two, and I'm bringing it back as one. And I'm going to do that, not with this old covenant, but I'm going to bring this new covenant. The word new there means new of a different kind. Not like, you know, I have a glass of water and I got a new glass of water. Like it's still the exact same thing. It's just a little different in time. Like not that. It's new of a different kind. There's something way bigger, way better, way other about this covenant. It's not just laws pointing to rules. It's actually going to be shaping and changing the heart. It is Jesus Christ getting all the glory as he does work in us. It's new and of a different kind. That's what he's talking about. God's like, I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It's going to begin to pull together the brokenness. It's going to make one nation again, and it's going to bring this hope along the way. By the way, this is a super big deal. Remember, this is written in the Old Testament, this little quote we're reading right now from Jeremiah. The Old Testament is promising a New Testament. The Old Testament is saying, this is a covenant that's coming to an end. There's a new covenant coming. In the old is a promise of a new to come. And that's talking about Jesus Christ himself. Make sure we grasp that. This is a huge deal that we understand this Jeremiah passage. Old Testament promising a new. You know, I just say it this way. The law. Well, the law is really only a help. The law is only a help. Jesus is actually our hope. The law can give us some understanding. The law can give us some pointing or some measuring, but we need Jesus Christ, him to die on the cross and rise again, him to be the one who changes our heart, him, our hope alone, Jesus Christ, right? He says, so um, I'm going to establish this new covenant, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. Not like when I brought them out of Egypt and I was protecting them. Not when I brought them to Mount Sinai and ushered in these laws that were external to them, written on tablets of stone. Not like that. In fact, just so you know, when he says here, when I was a father and I was walking them out by the hand, the words and terms that he's using here are like when a dad is standing with his little child and reaches down with a finger, you know? Like you reach down like this, and the child reaches up and grabs onto the finger and is holding on, and the finger's like huge for their hand. And dad's holding this way, or maybe even grabs onto the hand a little bit, and starts to walk along, and as they're wobbling along, he's walking with walking them out. That's the word picture God's giving. 
When I took Israel and I gave them my hand and I walked them along like a daddy with his little child, protecting, caring, and ushering them out into the wilderness and on then to a nation. The reality is he's like, just so we're clear, Like there was the old covenant then, but that was some external laws. It was some rules to give them understanding of an expectation at the time. But what I am going to do next will rock your world. What I am going to do next is going to be stunning. Hang on. It is going to be like nothing you've seen before. And yes, some similar and so much more as I change your actual heart. That's the promise going on in the new covenant. He says, it's not going to be like the old covenant. There was a lot of problem with the old covenant. What does he say about why? He says, for, like because, here's the reason it won't be like the old covenant. Here's the promise, problem with it. It says, they did not continue in my covenant. The problem with the old covenant was not the covenant. It's not that God somehow wrote wrong words, said it a bad way didn't realize that it wouldn't affect people that way and thought it would work. Like it's not an error in God or in the actual commands written. The problem with the law is that it's absolutely perfect and stunning. The rules are great. The guidance and expectation is clear. But the problem is in our hearts. We as human beings have massive sin problems. We struggle with self and we always want to raise self up. And no matter what rule is placed in front of us, that doesn't make us perfect that clearly just guides that we aren't perfect. The problem with the law is it can't change what's inside. It can only call you externally to something and it just makes clear this is broken. The problem with the law is me. That's the problem. My heart and my sin, that's the issue. And God's like, yeah, we had a huge problem. It wasn't getting it done. The covenant can't make people perfect. It just made it measurable that they weren't. That's what's going on. Have you ever stopped and thought, then, then why even do the law? Like, then what was God doing in the Old Testament with the law if you're just going to wipe it out and move it away? And, and I'll just say, it's not exactly clear all over in Scripture as to why, but for sure we can at least glean this out of it. God is showing us throughout the whole Old Testament. Remember, the Bible as a whole is a book, Genesis to Revelation, and it's one big story of the greatness of Jesus Christ. And when he starts out in the beginning in this creation with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we have perfection. Like they're innocent. They haven't sinned yet. They're capable of sinning. They have free will, but they haven't sinned. And God is interacting with man there. And all of a sudden, within a couple of chapters, it all unwinds. Sin everywhere. Everything blows up. Death brought in. It's all being destroyed because of the choice of man and their sinfulness and their selfishness. So you have God working with man when they're actually innocent, perfect, no sin yet. It fell apart. Then you have God working with Abraham where he's like, look, there's no law or anything yet, but I'm telling you, I'm guaranteeing you a covenant. I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to use your generations and I'm going to make a stunning people and do a blessing through. And and, and that didn't work either. You have people everywhere sinning. And so while God still uses that nation and works with them, the reality is sin was rampant. And so then he steps in next and he takes a nation out of Egypt by his finger as he moves them along and protects them as daddy. And he gives them external commands. Now he's like, okay, now I'm making it clear what is wrong. Like I worked with you before where there was no law. Now it's clear. Here's what is wrong. 
Yeah, that didn't fix the problem either. Like it still unwound from there. And it went as bad as the nation splitting into two and getting so sinful that exile had to happen, consequences taking place. And God's like, I've worked with man's heart in every single condition. He is making it clear in the story that the problem is not with God or with how he's interacting. The problem is with us. It's our heart and our brokenness, and we need a God who is absolutely going to do a miracle from the inside out. Why have the law? Well, along with all of the other pieces of how he interacted, it's a package that shows he has tried everything. There isn't one person who can say, yeah, but God, you could have done it this way, and then, like, that's not going to happen. It's all been shown and revealed out. We need a Savior who's going to shape and change our hearts from the inside out, making us perfect one degree at a time. Literally taking you and making sure that this year is a growing year for you and that you are more mature in your God this year than you were last. And on the way to that journey, all the way into heaven, we're all of a sudden at once when we enter heaven, perfect forever. The goal is removing sin. The law was a part of a process to prove we can't ever do that ourselves. It's not good enough for us to just try. It's not our good works. We need a God who's doing a work from within. And all of God's people said, huge deal. He says, uh, they did not continue in my covenant. They sinned, they fell away, they walked and did their own thing. He says, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Dude, those are hard words. I showed no concern. Now, you have to be careful when you define something like that and make sure you do understand. Like, here's what he's not saying. I never loved them again. I never gave them any mercy. I never gave them any hope. In fact, the very passage we're reading is in the middle of their exile, in the middle of their rebellion, and he's saying, hang on, I'm going to give you a new covenant. Just wait. I'm going to rock your world. I'm going to do something huge. By the way, you're only going to be in this exile 70 years. Like he did give them mercy and hope along the way. So what does this mean when it says he gave them no concern. It means he allowed the consequences of their decision to wash on their shore. That's what it means. It means the consequences of their sinfulness now caused other nations to crash in and God was not going to protect from that in that moment and their sin had to now be dealt with. And they were taken away to other nations. Remember, Jeremiah is a prophet. He's speaking to one of those nations under exile. And he's actually saying to them in the midst of it, and so God said, I show them no concern. Can you imagine being a Jewish person in exile? They're like, no kidding, no concern. I'm a slave in another country. This is horrible what's going on right now. We've lost everything we had. He is showing us no concern. This is so true. And it is couched within the exact verse that says, and I'm going to do something new with you. Hang on. Like, it's absolutely important we grasp the hope that God is giving at the same time that God is getting very real with sin. He is not toying. Our sin needs to be dealt with. It needs to be changed. And it's from the inside out, one degree at a time. May God get all the glory. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen, man. So this past week was um, actually a very tough week. 
And uh, we had a lot of hurt and heartache going on on a number of fronts. And actually um, had a family come up to me last week and we uh, prayed a little bit after the service. And um, just going through a tough time as husband and dad was uh, very sick at the time and in the hospital and wrestling and some decisions needing to be made. And uh, the hospital saying it's probably time to um, maybe help make him more comfortable. And I won't use names here, but just so you know, just a very tender moment as they're having to make a decision about life and future. Here's the catch, husband and dad, but he doesn't know who Jesus is. And we're having a hard time making this decision and we're trying to figure out which way to go. And as they were making sense out of that and we prayed together there and they ended up going home and they had made a decision to try to make things more comfortable. It was getting pretty brutal, some struggles that he had with health and with COVID and some other things going on. And so had the, the breathing assist and had the IVs and lots of it going on. And so Pastor Glenn ended up showing up then with the family a couple days later and sitting down with them in the hospital and just spending some time there, like fully clothed in the white and the masks and all that stuff going on, right? And treating this uh, as the hospital had asked, but also spending time praying through this. And so Pastor Glenn spent a little bit of time just walking John 3.16 and making clear what that truth is and, and then just asking if he... Um, would be able in any way to interact with this. I mean, when he had the tubes in and eyes closed and just really kind of non-responsive. And in that moment just said, hey, if you could open your eyes, just to let us know that you're with us on this. And in that moment, opened his eyes up wide. Like I'm hearing this, okay? He ends up saying, let's just walk through this. He walks through salvation, the ABCs, like we do here, A, admit that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Admit that heart needs to be healed, right? Believe, believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. He's alive, there's power in him. And see, confess him as Lord. You just walk through what it is to be saved. Very simple, very basic. And then just said, I'm gonna pray a prayer and walk through this. Would you do that with me? And really not a lot of interaction in that moment as he was just kind of suffering and quiet there and Right, so Pastor Glenn walks through the prayer slowly, just making a clear opportunity to be able to follow along and to be able to accept. And as he walks along and comes to a close with that prayer, in that moment, it's still up to God and this one as to where he stands with him. But as things closed out there, um, the wife was able to at least say, honey, you heard what Pastor Glenn said. Were you able to pray with him? Did you hear from him? I mean, effectively saying, are you with Jesus? Are you understanding and accepting this? And in that moment, he ends up opening his eyes again and nodding his head firmly like, I'm in with this. Like you need to understand this massive difference that happened from I don't know Christ to I know Christ. And please hear me. It doesn't matter how much sin is in our past. It matters that we have a God who is changing our tomorrow. And all of God's people said... Amen. Amen. Please hear me. God at work. And are you listening to him? Are you hearing him as he's pressing in? Whatever sin is in your life, in your past, setting that down and grasping this, I can know the king of the universe, the God who will change my heart one little bit at a time. And as this one came to trust Christ, just a couple of days, a day later, ended up passing away. 
But I'm telling you, taken home to glory in absolute perfection with the stunning move of God doing in what he'll do in all of us, taking us from imperfect to perfect forever. May God get all the glory. Are you ready to worship that king? Don't let the distraction of this world and the pain and the heartache take your attention away from your God. May God get your worship. And all of God's people said, amen, man. May we truly grasp from the old covenant that we need a savior, but may we grasp the new savior as our hope and king. Point number two, embrace. Embrace the glory of the new covenant in Jesus. Embrace the glory of the new covenant in Jesus. He starts out now for, he's like, look, I showed no concern for them. Here's why, because, like this is why I allowed the consequences. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make. Like it is coming, it is a guarantee. Here's what I'm going to do. With the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, I'm gonna bring restoration on the human level, restoration on the divine level. He says, I will put my law into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will literally take my law and etch it into mind and heart. Like no more of this external law on some stone. It's going to be interior, right here, welling up from the heart. God is gonna be doing a change in your soul and a change in your think and a change in your desire where he is helping you to long for him one degree at a time as he walks us through in this world, shaping and changing our lives from the inside out. Here's what it does not mean. Everybody say not. It does not mean he's going to take and put another set of laws down on a tablet. The new tablet is your heart. And he just etches there what the commands are. You still don't have any power or ability to fight it. Sin is still raging in you. It's just a new place to write it, not that. He is actually going in and changing the heart and shaping the soul to desire your God, to have a perfect love and a perfect worship, one degree at a time. And in that perfect worship being built into your soul, it will well up and spill out as if the laws were very written there. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about, I'm going to help you memorize words better. He's talking about, I'm going to change your soul to long for my character and to go after me in perfect love and perfect worship. It's a huge deal. You know, you might, you hear these statements about uh, changing and uh, heart change and written on the soul and you might be like, so, so what's up with the old commandments then? Like, what do we even do with the new law and the old law? How do I handle this Old Testament stuff? And do I even have to do what the 10 commandments are? And, and I'll say it this way. I'm gonna answer it in two parts. First. Like, no, the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We are not meant to try to measure up to something written on stone. No. But if you mean, are those very laws the things that are going to well up out of your soul? Then yes. 
Because God's going to come in and start changing you. And the same God who wrote those commandments in the Old Testament, nothing wrong with them, is the God who's going to write into your heart and shape your soul. And as you begin to pour out a worship for him, this worship pouring out, I guarantee you one of those things that's going to happen is there won't be any other gods before your God. I guarantee you, you won't be taking his name in vain. Like, that's not going to happen. This worship is welling up. I guarantee you're going to be loving others in a way that's going to care for them. There won't be heavy sin that'll happen. Affairs will be so obviously wrong. It's not because it's some rule written. Your heart is spilling up with perfect love and perfect worship, all for God Almighty. So yes, the Ten Commandments are going to be lived out. No, because they're written on stone somewhere. Clear enough? It's going to be written here and shaped and spilling out. And it's the same God and his character that's going to be reflected. May God get all the glory. We're not doing it because it's written in the Ten Commandments. It's because it's who God is. And it's his character and his person in my soul. And it's spilling out with pure worship and love. May God get all the glory. Remember when Christ summarized the old, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what's going to be welling up and spilling out. You might even be like, well, dude, what's, what's with all those weird food rules back there in the Old Testament? Like, what do I even do with that? And I just want to tell you, like, God was taking those rules and he was helping to do two things. One is he was setting them apart from the nations around him. There was a differencing, a separating. That was the heart of God. You need to know you're separated from these. But more than that, he was also taking things that could make you very sick. You know, you look at like pigs that could get trichinosis, could ravage and kill a nation. And he's like, not that. He was protecting along the way. It was a heart of a God protecting. So when you look in the New Testament, you see some real clarity to that when it says, there's no unclean foods now. Just be careful, be wise, be healthy, be worshipful in the midst. That's the heart of your God. And it's expressed into you and now pouring out of you. Hopefully that answers a little bit of what to do with the old and new. The old is fulfilled in Christ. It's done. Everybody say it's done. Dude, but God is working in your soul and he is perfecting a worship and a love that's going to spill out. You're going to find a lot of commonality back there, but I'm telling you it's the heart of your God pouring into you. May God get all the glory. Okay? Hopefully that's clear enough. God says, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Like that's like family, relationship. I will be their God. No more walking around saying, I did it my way, right? Great song, terrible words, right? I did it my way. Like not that. Like we're going to go after this huge worship and God is absolutely our celebrated king of kings. He is our hope. And he says, and they shall be my people. Romans chapter 8 says that we can celebrate that we are adopted as children into his home. That we can now declare, I am a child of God. That we can now declare when we trust Christ, man, if you admit your sin, if you believe that Jesus is risen, you believe that, and you confess him as Lord, he's in charge of your life. Man, scripture's super clear. That is the only way to be saved. Eternity with our king. And if you've got that, you can declare these words. I am a child of God. Forever I am his. Eternity in his hands. May God get all the glory. He says, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord. 
let those words settle. They will not teach, know the Lord. You might be like, why? That seems like kind of a good thing to teach. And he goes on and explains exactly why right after it. He says, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. He's talking about heaven and he's like, everybody there, they know me. They've got it down. They grasp who I am. They're saved already. There's no need for that message. It's like walking up to somebody who's wearing shoes and going, dude, you need to put shoes on. And the guy's like, I got them on, man. Like, we're good. He's like, that message is not needed. Covered. Move on. This is a massive celebration of life with God. Everybody already knowing him and saved in him that is trusting him. It's heaven with all of those who are trusting. It says, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. This is another one of the I wills. And he says, in this covenant, I will not remember their sins. There will be forgiveness, which is awesome. But you might be like, well, wait a minute. In the old covenant, there was forgiveness, right? Like, I thought there, was, there were the lambs and the doves and that covered sin and, and, and that brought forgiveness. But, but it's really clear in scripture how that was actually working out. You may want to write the verse down, Romans 3.25. Romans 3.25, and I'm just going to read it to you. It says, God put forward Jesus as a replacement payment by his blood. Jesus, my payment. He's my lamb on the cross. His blood covering my sin. It says, to be received by faith. Faith is what saves in Jesus Christ. It says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, that's a big word and all it means is put up with. Everybody just say put up with. So God was putting up with sin in his design forbearance, divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. In other words, when people came with lambs or doves or whatever saying, please forgive me, God, he was taking the sin and putting up with it. He was piling it up on the side and hanging on. And those who were putting their faith in God along the way, there was no Christ sacrifice yet. So he was tolerating and putting up with. And it moved along until the time of Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for all sin's future for all sins present, and for all those sins past. He had been putting up with those sin, and they are now covered in Jesus Christ. Real coverage, first time only, this covenant brings absolute forgiveness. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, huge privilege. And it says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, unnecessary. Done, fulfilled in Jesus, over. The Old Testament fulfilled in Christ, it's done, this external law not needed. Now he's gonna be doing something in our hearts. It says, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Ready to vanish away. Why did he say it that way? Why didn't he just say it's vanished away? Well, you gotta remember this is written, this is the book of Hebrews now being written here, right? It's written in like 50 AD. It's like 15 years after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, somewhere there, maybe 20. After Jesus died and rose, the temple was still running. Sacrifices were still happening. 
People were walking up with lambs and going and leading the old covenant style living. And he's like, I'm telling you, it's fading away. It's going to vanish. He had no idea what he was saying. And within 15 to 20 years, the whole temple would be collapsed and there was no more sacrifice in any way. He's like, it's going away. It's obsolete. It's fading away. Think of it this way. It's a lot like a guy who's walking around with like an iPhone 3. Doesn't even work anymore. Can't even connect to the networks because of the change in networks. But it used to work. I don't know what you're talking about. I had this phone, it was great. And now it's, what do you mean it doesn't work anymore? You're like, dude, it's obsolete. iPhone 13, get caught up, right? Like that thing doesn't even connect. It's got no value anymore. And it's fading away. It's like, I got one in my pocket. They're vanishing. You're not going to see iPhone 3s for very long. Like, get rid of that thing. That's pretty lame analogy, but it's a little bit of what he's talking about, right? He's like, just so we're clear, yes, there was something functional, but it has been fulfilled. It's over and done. There is something new here. May God get all the glory. Jesus Christ, he is our hope. And we get to declare, I am a child of God, a new covenant promised by our God with hope and love along the way. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's pray.